Hello and welcome to the Selling Picture podcast. My name is Jaros Zugravski, founder of Selling Picture and also I make music under the name Smiach. Today is our third episode and I'm very excited to have Luca Longobardi on. Uh, he's an um, Italian composer who's written music for very interesting shows and theater plays. And uh, I can't wait to ask him a few questions about uh, his work and his career. So, Luca, hi. How are you doing? Hello. Hi. Hello, everyone. Um, so, yeah, let's start at first. Uh, what initially sparked your interest to get involved in music? I, I've read that you're classically trained, but how did you decide to, to go that way? Uh, yes, like everything started when I was like four. Uh, like my parents at a certain point decided to to give me a little like keyboard as a gift for, for Christmas. And uh, from that point on, like all the other toys, just like I left any, I lost any kind of interest, you know, in the, in the other toys I had and I started to play this little keyboard. Mm-hmm. And uh, at a certain point, my mother uh, started to understand that I, was, I wasn't just like doing my hands the keyboard, but I was basically doing something <laughs> in coordination with my <laughs> very young mind. At that point, uh, like my parents thought about, let me start, you know, to to, to started to practice, you know, music. Uh, so I was really, really young, and since then, like I never left, you know, my my relationship with music. So I started as a pianist. I I started at a conservatory, and uh, while I was um, studying piano. My piano teacher suggested to start to uh, study composition. Like his idea was like, if you uh, get into the mood, you know, of the composer, how he actually thought about developing the ideas, you know, writing the music, organizing all the creative materials, probably it would be easier for you to uh, make a better performance. So that's the reason why I started to study composition. So when I finished the conservatory, uh, after a while, I moved to New York, which like where I started, I kept studying music. Then I came back and I started to uh, work as a, uh, actually a rehearsal pianist for opera and for ballet, for classical ballet. And while I was like doing this job in the theater, in theaters, actually we were more than once, uh, more than one, like the... I started also to to have interest in contemporary uh, dance. The production there was much more wider. The choreographers needed new ideas, um, experimental music. So at a certain point, that kind of you know work opened my mind, and uh, there was something that switched not to another direction. Uh, at the same time, I was already studying uh, with for my PhD, there was a PhD in audio restoration. So I was getting all the tweets and data come and vinyls, you know, trying to recover the material and clean them up and trying to have the best, you know, uh, version of them, keeping the, the meaning of historical, you know, recordings. And while I was working on, on that, on those kind of things, I started to get get in love to fall in love with the little noises, the glitches, you know, all the the thing that I was cleaning up from the from the recordings. And that's that was like another kind of interest that 
together with the classic, the contemporary ballet thing, production came together and made me probably the, the composer I am today. Uh, hmm. I don't know what it's going to be about tomorrow, but today, like my production is made of music, noises, and melodies and harmonies, but also there's a very contemporary thing that you won't find on Spotify, but you can find actually in my multimedia production. It's, it's like much more music concrete, you know, concrete music production that you can find in those kind of productions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting combination also of the organic instruments as well as the digital ones like the synthesizers and, and the noise. Yeah, it's cleverly implemented and... Um, yeah, so so you've worked on audio restoration just for music, right? Not uh, like because um, I have a colleague, for example, who's doing audio restoration for the police, and he's been cleaning audio from like uh, criminal scenes and stuff like this. Which actually, you know, I, I've been I've been um, called once to do this kind of thing because, like, I, I am one of the few guys who does this kind of thing in Italy, you know, mm. but. It's a totally another thing. Like my study, the studies I made were actually were focusing on another kind of thing. Like I, I, I came out with this plugin who could like make everything you play, you resonate in, in a um, like in a specific ambient in a specific place. Also, um, for instance, if you want to listen to your piano. Um, played in an old theater that doesn't exist anymore, through this software, you can actually hear it. So the, it, it was, it was a, a, an experimental thing in which I was trying to, to have an idea of what like, music could sound in a specific place. Actually, this research, the software I made, was very useful when I started to work for the immersive shows, because like immersive shows are, um, are held in this like, very huge places and uh, far away and the big success we had in the States just came during the pandemic. So I never had the chance to go to those places, you know, to finalize the soundtrack in the specific place. So the software I made now it's been like 12 years ago. It's still very useful for my work, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, how is the plugin code? Can uh, outside people use it, or it's just for specific? No, it's just, like, never, never been released. Ah, never been okay, released. okay. It was something made in a very, very also easy graphic way. It was running on uh, Pro Tools actually at the time, and then I made like a, a version for Logic. Then uh, Logic X, it is, it is actually the the DAW that I use almost like all, all the time. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I never, I never thought actually about about like put it out, you know, and, and make it make it. But maybe one day, actually, now you make me think it would be a good idea. You know? yeah, yeah, of course. And to me, um, how I picture it sounds like uh, some kind of reverb uh, or it's more than just a reverb infusion. No, it's it's a convolution reverb with like some kind of attention or like uh, especially the low end of the reverb because that's what happens. Like I've been I've been working in places in which uh, the natural reverb was like twelve seconds, you know. Mm-hmm. So when you write music for this kind of thing and you say that like in that place you're gonna have a thousand people 
buy time listening and to the music while watching the images, you know, and, and you have like 12 seconds of reverb, you have to, to understand, you know, how to, how to manage, you know, the, the, the new composition. I used to also, uh, the production used to, to have also uh, edited music already, or you know, pop songs and jazz music and classical music in the shows. And for that kind of thing, the miracles uh, uh, have always been made by the sound engineering who was taking care of the location, you know. Mm. But when uh, when it, it takes me uh, to write new music, I always write music with the space in my mind. Mm. And then I has, uh, I also have to take in consideration that probably the show is going to be made in another location. So then I have to rework, you know, the soundtrack for that location and then probably i'm gonna have the sort of radio edit for the release of the soundtrack so it, it it is really usually if i have like the show in 26 locations that means i made 26 masters you know, oh, oh. of that soundtrack yeah that's that sounds like a lot of work and i never mentioned like yeah you have to take into consideration how the reverb in the space so this means that you probably won't put so much reverb or different kinds of effects on on your compositions when you work on it right yeah, yeah, yeah. actually you know sometimes I, I used to i used to think about the locations like effect pedals you know if i already have the reverb there i'm not using it you know for the the version of soundtrack, soundtrack I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, send for that location. But of course, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use it, you know, for the final edit for the release, you know. So it's really like a little balance you have to do from time to time. But at the same time, you have to take in consideration that that location has its own voice. So also the music must sound in a specific way in that location. So you can recognize that you're listening to the track in there and not in another place. Mm. This is my idea. It's something like I came out in this like 12 years I've been working for the immersive shows and uh, little by little, like it just became my um, my style. Let's, let's talk about like my, my taste, my signature, you know, mm. this kind of thing. This is the, the particular attention I, I put on, on that, you know. Mm -hmm. The cool thing about it, the immersive shows that there's so many ways you know, to tell a story about a painter, about a group of painters that you can make like different shows on the same topic, you know, forever, actually. Something like now it's been 21 immersive shows. Oh, wow. This 21 different. Mm -hmm. Let's uh, pick one, maybe the Van Gogh for starters. And um, I saw some uh, photos. It's basically like a huge room where people can see his paintings, right? Projections of him, yeah. his paintings. And the thing is, like, you know, what's what's really what's really hard about uh, about describing this kind of show? It's like, for instance, you call this show Van Gogh. Of course, it's Van Gogh because, like, it's. His life, his production, his paintings. But it's not like it's actually a thought of some artist about another artist. Mm -hmm. So actually, this kind of shows, uh, they've been born with like um, the director that is Massimiliano Sicardi. Uh, Vittorio Guidotti is actually the, the art um, director, plus me. 
I am one of the authors, of course, I take care of, uh, about the music, you know. But we start about, we start with writing a story for what we want to tell about Van Gogh mm. and how we want to tell about um, these things, you know, about him. So, of course, we have to read a lot about his life, his productions, and then we have to see, like, which kind of images are uh, we can get, you know, in high resolution to be then animated for the show. And uh, for instance, we made a Van Gogh in France. It, the production didn't want to mention that Van Gogh was a depressed artist. Uh, they didn't want to, to tell anything about the difficulties he had you know, in his life. When we made the new show in uh, 2020, the one that actually reached um, it's like huge popularity in North America. We were totally free, you know, to, to tell what we thought, we really thought about the, the artist. So we, of course, uh, told in our way you know, about his life. And um, um, once the storyboard was there, the first thing that comes out is the music. These kind of shows are, are worked like, uh, like the, the, the animations, not the Disney animation. So you have the music and then you move, you know, the images uh, on the music. It's, it's never the, the opposite. This is the first step. So the first thing I have to do, we have to, we, we are picking like the kind of music, radiated the music we want to, and uh, then we decide in which, in which part of the show is going to be my original music. So I have to uh, write the music, present the draft, I have the, the, the approval from the director. Actually, the director is a very good friend. We've been knowing each other for like 25 years and we really get along with them. We don't need to talk to each other, you know. Usually it's uh, mm. the first choice is the right choice. There's a, a good thing about collaboration, kind of collaborations. And uh, so once we have this, the soundtrack done, uh, all the timing of it, section. Um, uh, has been decided by the director that's this like superpower. He really knows, you know, how long a certain session should should be, you know. And what, then after that, I receive at a certain point a first draft of the animation. So we see if everything works and we go back and forth with effects. And sometimes I have to change something in the music. So sometimes I, they have to change something in the animation. But then, like, when we have a sort of final cut or picture block of the, um, the show, I start to write or I start to work again on the soundtrack. Mm. I'm going to, you know, write new elements that make the soundtrack to sound like just a whole unique, you know, a very um, consistent, you know, piece of music, like like a symphony, like being, like it's been made by one person, even though you have like uh, very different and various, you know, kind of music from jazz to folk to classical music to contemporary music, new music, new rework, new recompose and whatever. Hmm. So, and with Van Gogh, actually, um, there was, according to me, it was a very lucky, <laughs> lucky case, hmm. even though like, uh, it, it, it was a lucky case in unfortunate, unfortunately, um, let's say landscape because like the show was, was supposed to, uh, it premiered before the, 
the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And then because of the pandemic, it could not like be premiered. So like it was postponed, it was moved like four or five months later, you know. But at the same time, it was the only show open in the North America. And that's because of the big locations, you know, and because like at a certain point, the director decided to project on the floors, on the floors, this like circle, they already have the perfect distance, you know, to make you safe. So people entered the place, they reached their, their spot, and they didn't have to take care of, you know, other people, distances and whatever. So at a certain point, they really had the chance to finally relax, you know, after the first lockdown. Mm-hmm. Then was the first ever immersive show imported in the States. It was the first time American uh, people were, you know, attending the immersive show. They didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. No, and, and the third thing, it was like the show was very personal. The way we made it was really touching. We, we really put ourselves, you know, in a very... Uh, humble, but at the same time, sincere way into the show. And just because also Van Gogh as a character, as a person, is a person who, like, everyone can relate to, you know, especially uh, after first lockdown condition, all these things together made the show sell five million tickets in the North America. And for instance, like Ticket One at Bloomberg said that the show made more tickets than the Taylor Swift tour in 2019. And this is like a really big thing because like we are talking about another kind of entertainment. We are talking about painter, we are talking about classical music, and we have just one kind of music, but you know, pop music is called pop music because it's, it's more popular than other kind of music. You know? So the idea that five million people, that one, one American on hundred, you know, saw our, saw our shows and listened to my music was something really, you know, unbelievable. And I have to, to face this situation that was totally new, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's great. So, Van Gogh, the show is still going. There are some cities in the States in which the show is still going. It's been three years now. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a very creative and interesting, um, like a documentary, but in a totally different way. And And then, like, another important thing uh, about the shows, like, we never meant uh, uh, the show as a substitute um of a museum like it's it's not better than the real thing it's a different thing you know mm-hmm. so this is like the idea is to tell our idea about that painter about that painter you know mm-hmm. and then like we're gonna show you in a new way with a new media you no know? and then another thing like after the success of Van Gogh uh like now you see now you see that the word immersive in anything yeah like yeah. A- anywhere you go around you see immersive this immersive that it's not just because you put like a lot of projectors in a room and you have like 360 images around you that doesn't make a show immersive that makes 
a media immersive. They make a location ready for an immersive media, but the immersive uh, art has a specific, no, either a specific path you have to follow to make what you want to tell an immersive work of art. Mm-hmm. It doesn't like it. It's not just putting images around. It, it's not just putting, putting like a special music around. It's not that. And, and that, that's a little bit tricky. At the same time, it's a cool thing because like people are buying tickets to go to see an immersive show and they don't see an immersive show. And probably at a certain point, they will get sick of that. And then we want to appreciate something calling that immersive work. And it's not an immersive work at all. Mm-hmm. But it's now it's way passion, so everything it's immersive. <laughs> it's become like a keyword. I also see it here yeah. in, in Bulgaria. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what yeah. Uh, what do you think is the main factor that makes it immersive? Yeah, at least three things. First of all, the timing of the creation. So you have to uh, have to tell what you have to tell in a way that people have the chance to live their daily life out of the location and get immersed with their soul, with their ears, with their eyes in the narration. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point, you have to take people by their hands and walk them out of this magic world because they have to go back to their life. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is the first thing. Another thing is like, One of the secrets is like in the immersive show, you are the main character. It's always a subjective narration. Mm-hmm. You want, for instance, let's say Snow White. If you see Snow White, that's not an immersive show. You have to be Snow White. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's a big thing about is the movie is the the future of the movie the immersive media we, we have no idea because like movies are made by uh, actors you know the big actors big stars and then like you have just one bronze you know of public you don't you you can like you for, for instance another thing you never know where people were are looking while while the show is going mm-hmm. okay because probably like it's it's not that you have a main wall and then the background, everything, it's really important because people are supposed to go around, take your time, uh, go into the story the way they can. You know, also, for instance, the, the sync with the music, when you write music for the immersive show, it's not like uh, writing lead, it's, uh, like a thing or another kind of installation or like you do with a movie in which you make the perfect synchronization with the yeah, with the with the, um, with the images you know mm-hmm. because like you don't know in that precise moment where people are looking to you know so mm-hmm. so this is another thing that with music that to you have to probably uh, get more into the the feeling of the the story and not in the you know technical scene with the with the images mm-hmm. another thing the location location has asked us to tell you something even though 
there's no, you know, the projectors are off. The location has to have its story. And at the same time, it has to be a very big question. Like the um, relationship between uh, our like physical dimension and the dimension of the walls, mm -hmm. it, it is really important. Not only because like uh, the kind of animation, the pace of the animation needs a big wall, but also because you have to to, to feel this little, you know, in comparison with the images. Mm -hmm. And do you so, have multiple rooms or is it just one big hole? It depends. It depends. Like, uh, uh, we've been working in places in which we had three different rooms, you know. For instance, the location we had in New York, it was like uh, three very big, very big rooms, you know, one after the other. In Chicago right now, uh, the, the location has uh four actually room there's a big room then you walk up a stairs and you have two little rooms on the, on the right and it, like a, a bigger room on the left so you can go around and all like images are uh always the same in every room you know but they've been located in a special way you know to highlight particularity of the, um, of the of that room you know and uh, i guess like his work is in the public domain so there haven't been any difficult procedures with copyright and uh, such not for that like he, 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 like van gogh Klimper actually do and like this kind of thing but like for instance when we made the show about frida we had the chance to work with the with frida uh, relatives actually the grand nieces and they have like all the, uh, they have the foundation in like, their heads. And uh, of course, for that, you have to pay for, for the copyrights, for the images, you know, the same thing happened when we made a show uh, with, uh, for the Vatican, you know, uh, with the Sistine Chapels and everything. So it depends on, but for instance, the reason why you see so many uh, other Van Gogh immersive shows around is because it's public domain. So they don't have to pay for the, for yeah, yeah. the so people things that they go to see so they can grab what they want. They improvise themselves as director, musicians and, uh, you know, animations and they put together a show that is nothing in comparison of what an immersive show should be, you know, but this is my opinion. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And recently you've, uh, you've also worked on immersive show for Mozart, right? Yeah, yeah. It was like one of a kind show because it was the first time we had a chance to, uh, to work, uh, to make an immersive show about a composer, not a painter, you know. So the thing is like, uh, usually you start from images because you know already, uh, people know already, you know, images and uh, they recognize, for instance, the bungo sunflowers or the irises, you know, or the yellow, the yellow room, you know. And we, we model was, it, it was a totally different approach. We have to, um, make stretch all the images. We made a lot of research. Mm -hmm. We just had like a couple of good portraits of Mozart, you know, but we had, uh, history, his story in our, his life in our, in our, in our hands, you know. So we knew like he'd been in Italy, for instance, for five years while he was studying, you know, to, um, to get ready to write uh, the operas, you know, 
So, and then like, so we, we made research, so we, we put in the show for instance, landscape made by painters from that, that you know, period, from that um, ages, you know, mm-hmm. into the show. We worked a lot with uh, AI, also we made a lot of uh, things that inspired or made by the creative studio, they've been growing thing, they've been modeling thing with the 3D, 2D, like, and then like, the show is about 40 minutes, so it's a very long show. And it, of course, because it was the first immersive show about a composer, I had a chance to work with a, a real orchestra and a real, a real choir, you know, so I had a foreign Grammy nominated conductor uh, Maestro Orbeliano conducting the orchestra. And uh, so what I made, uh, like I made some choices about what uh, Mozart's repertoire bring into the show. And of course, we're talking about 600, more than 600, you know, compositions. So we had to leave something out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but what, what we used to say, we could make another 100 shows about Mozart because of the, of the music left so we have to we have to make a choice. So we did, mm-hmm. and at a certain, as like a contemporary, I also brought some new music for the show, an introduction, for instance, for the for the requiem. I made a recompose of the Arne Klanenach music. Uh, I had a chance to play with the orchestra, the um, concerto for piano and orchestra for '88, and made a recomposition of the. Four, six, seven. I made a new uh, arrangement with the harpsichord, chamber orchestra, and a solo viola of the clarinet concerto. So it was really a, a, a big work. I've been working on the show for two years while I was doing something else, mm-hmm. but it's one of a kind and it's really magic. It's like really nice. So for now, the only place in which you can see it is uh, in Chicago. And right now they're making um, like a special, a special uh, entrance ticket in which you can see Mozart and Van Gogh, and and it's really cool because like they're so different one from each other, but they're two beauty, you know. So uh, beautiful at the same time and different. So people when they get there, they had the chance really to see, uh, you know, two different things, mm-hmm. and uh, and hopefully it will soon go around, you know, for the other location we we have. And now, right now, we're also opening a little bit to the European um, market, actually. So we have the Van Gogh in Porto, in, um, right now, in Portugal, in Portugal. And also we have the Impressionist uh, Monet and Impressionist show in uh, Warsaw, in Poland. Mm-hmm. So probably there, there will be more locations you know, on the way for the next years, hopefully, finger crossed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's hope so, for sure. And um, I mean, working for such a show and uh, must be like also big responsibility, like uh, collaborating with Mozart, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, like, it was hard, but um, as a musician, especially as a, as a classical pianist, I always had a, a special attention of, respect the score and what the composer wrote on the score. And I I did my best to bring the same attention as a composer. You know? So when I took, for instance, the material uh, 
from the Anne Karenak Museum to make you recompose. I just like made my own version. And that doesn't mean it's, uh, it's better or worse, probably worse, I don't know, but like it's not better, it's not worse uh, in comparison with Mozart, but it's something new that we just needed something new in that precise moment of the show. Like there's no need to rework Mozart, but there was the need to rework Mozart for that particular scene. Mm -hmm. So what, like, what, I was, what I'm doing when I write for the, the soundtrack of a Mercy show, I like, I'm collaborating with the director. I'm writing music for him with, with like following his education. It's not just me writing music, you know? Mm -hmm. It's exactly how it happens when you write music for a movie. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So in that, in, I have to, it, it's not a compromise, but it's a really collaboration. So it's me saying, listen, in this particular moment, probably we don't need that, but we need a fresh, a more fresh view on that score. So if you agree, I can send you the, this thing I, I've been working on. If you like it, you know, for instance, I, I worked for one year and a half on that recompose, like, throwing away a lot of version I didn't like, and then finally the right one came uh, there on the score and really proud of that, of that composition. I really love it. And mm. I really hope one day we, the, it would be really like in, in the ears of everyone, you know, because like it's a, a very fresh point of view of a very classical you know, uh, uh, and beautiful composition. Mm -hmm. But this is like what, what my idea was, was I, I always tried and hopefully, hopefully I did, I always tried to bring the um, top of the respect I could, you know, in towards the composition and the composer I was reworking. Mm -hmm. How much creative freedom do you have in terms of picking the instruments and... Um... Actually, I'm totally free. I'm lucky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm super lucky. I can do whatever I want, and of course, then you have to um, you have to deal with uh, with money. Production gives you, you know, for realizing the um, the, the soundtrack. But uh, usually, as I, as I told you before, the director really likes uh, um, he really likes the way I I I, I write music. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and sometimes it's not him telling me I don't like this one. Sometimes it's me changing something. Mm -hmm. Like I write a thing, and then when I see the the whole thing is, I say this thing is not not in the right place. So like I go back and I write something else, and become something else, and then like we have a choice, and then like usually we see what, what works better. We, we put it there. We have like a different thing we can we can use. But I'm I'm lucky enough to be totally free, you know, to pick whatever I want, whatever, whichever style, whichever instrument, you know, so mm -hmm. really lucky from this point of view. Yeah, and for people that are interested to hear this, I, uh, I already listened to on Spotify, so people can find the music both for Mozart and Van Gogh shows. On yeah, yeah, the thing is like, we thought about putting together in a playlist all the tracks we used, you know, for the show without the edit, like, except from from like uh, my things that are actually exactly the way they are at the show we just just like take a vision we like you know the playlist on spotify so but at least you have the track list the right you know way they 
they got together, but of course the music then is being edited, you know, for the, for the show also because of the timing of the show. Mm-hmm. And what's your routine like um, in terms of like a perfect creative day? Do you work every day and uh, nonstop? Do you like taking breaks or um, do you have a structured routine or would you rather like uh, wake up and decide on the spot this morning what you're going to do? Yeah, it, it depends. It depends. Like if I, I'm, I'm not like in the process of um, uh, like if I'm not working on, on a project like a, soundtrack then i have a deadline if i have a deadline what i do i, I try to make a schedule or to have it done to have it, like done in, in the best way possible if i'm free and for instance this is the first week after four years in which <laughs> in which like i don't have anything you know to, to to send to someone else so i can finally you know think about my new album and like take some time to go back to some instruments some years you know i take the manual back and explore a bit you know for fun and i go a little bit further like my knowledge of this kind of instruments so what i do like um what i tell myself that composing is, is exactly like playing the piano we need to exercise every day Like consistency um, is made by doing uh, practice art every day. You have to have this like daily relationship with with the instrument, with the piano, or with the composition. So, uh, of course, for instance, the, um, uh, this kind of relationship now I have with my, the followers I have on socials help a little bit this kind of process because I know that. People is probably expecting, you know, for a, a new video on Instagram, on YouTube, in which like I'm here with my my gears, with my little, you know, uh, personas, you know, my little old old people watching me working, you know, that little parent. Mm-hmm. So that, that's something that that's me, keeps keeps me active, you know. I say, okay, this morning I'm doing this one, and then like if. Uh, the kind of exploration I'm doing that morning, it's worth it, like, two minutes. But, you know, I'm going to record it. I always, I have my camera near, you know, so I can just, like, put it there and uh, I can I can record it. And it's a good thing to do because, like, uh, when you see the video, you can also see how you made that knob or that fader. So probably you remember also, you know, the scene to play the the, 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 the track again, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I had this like daily, daily, you know, thing in which, of course, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick an instrument. It depends on if I, it can be because I want to play it or because I need to get back, you know, to study some, some features or just because like I don't know it enough, you know, uh, or because like I, I chose to have that instrument in my new setup. So I spend, uh, a lot of time on this kind of thing, but during the day, like I switch from a thing to another. So sometimes I just put like a scene uh, on the table in a play. Sometimes I just write music by hand uh, on, on the paper. Uh, at a certain point in the afternoon, I sit on my piano. I, I spend like 40 minutes to make technical exercises. And then like I take some book with the classical music and I go back to Breathe and play, Rachmaninoff, Yapin, Bach, Mozart, Beethoven, whatever. 
And uh, sometimes once I'm there, I'm going to sketch some ideas on the piano, you know. But like, uh, I, I, spe- like I, I, I started to be a, a professional musician. And with that, I mean, that is my main job. This is my main occupation now in 2019. So, of course, I spend at least seven, eight hours a day, you know, mm. with my music. That depends. Like, it can be on the piano plus uh, synth plus like a, a composition book I have I want to read again whatever but like it is my main thing you know? okay yeah it's, and it involves a lot of discipline and yeah actually this answered one of my questions where like um, if you're a classical musician uh, I guess your approach is mixed like sometimes you write the notes or sometimes you just uh, sit on the piano and create the notes uh, out of your head like this right and it, it's both it's both so because, because you know then the thing is If you sit on the piano, uh, it's easier that uh, you're gonna play something that it's under your fingers. And with that, I mean that you're, it's easy for you to, to play. Definitely. Probably after a while, that can give you uh, kind of the same you know, feeling, the, the kind of the same 16 notes on the left hand or, this, or the, 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 the triplets on the, on the right hand. And, and, So sometimes writing music uh, helps you to get out, you know, of a certain routine. Mm-hmm. And then like a, a very cool thing, I, I think I, I found very helpful is sometimes to, to play on the digital piano connected to a door. So you go on, you know, you can, you already are writing music. So the thing is like, you can go a little bit further in your routine and then you can correct the notes and then you have the right score and then you can go on the physical piano and learn that 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 score as it's not yours you know mm-hmm. so sometimes if you have if i have to if i have to search for something new i start on the real piano then i move on, on the digital piano with my ego so i can record the notes and then like i correct by hands or on the door the score and then i go back to the real instrument to record it mm-hmm. and are you self-thought about the dolls the software site and the synths did you learn them by yourself or did you look for it? I, i did by myself yeah yeah the thing is like i um i was at a certain point to to attend the electronical music course in the conservatory but at the same time i was working already in the theater so i could not match you know uh, to, to make i cannot match both so at a certain point i had all the books so i started to to study by myself. And I really like uh, to take a manual in my hand and go through it and go back where I don't understand it. I, I really like to study, you know, I made a PhD because like researching on a topic, it's something I really like. So mm. I really like to uh, to understand one thing. And then even though I feel that I did, I want to go back to it, you know, so I can, I can catch more, you know, more thing or, nuances about the topic you know yeah. so yes i did and uh, i think for instance there some tutorials on youtube are great for this kind of process i like really people when they tell you how the issue works and they help you to explore you know the the instrument through a tutorial usually what i do i go through the manual And once I, I think I, I know how it works, I, I search for a tutorial on YouTube to see 
if I get I, I got it right, you know. I'm not really those kind of tutorial in which or just gave you a preset because people are lazy, especially young generations right now. Uh, they're extremely lazy. I, I, I teach in the university, I teach sound design in the university. So I know a little bit how the new generation is. So if you, in a tutorial, you, you give a preset, so you just say, put this knob like this, feather like this, and then do that. And you're actually making your, your sound available, you know, to other generation. The new generation are just copying that. Of course, your video is going to have a lot of like on YouTube, but at the same time, you're not teaching you know, how to use that. You're just giving a preset, you know, to someone who's going to just use it, you know, you know probably not even go to pick a little bit the parameters, you know. So I'm totally, that kind of tutorials I really like when people makes you understand how the instrument works, you know, and a little bit less in people just presenting preset, you know, to adjust uh, the like and the, and the follow followers, you know, on, on the channel. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I can relate because uh, I also teach here. We're actually in a music academy right now. And uh, yeah, I'm 30 years old, but like the new generation is coming like 18, uh, 20 year olds. Yeah, they really want to have it right now very fast. And uh, yeah, yeah. our course is uh, half a year. But when I say, okay, we'll have to study for six months, they're like, oh, I was hoping to learn it in a month or two. Uh, <laughs> and it's really awesome. I, I know the feeling. I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah. And uh, honestly, yeah, when I was starting out, I was kind of the same and I didn't have the patience to watch tutorials actually and I'm self-thought as well. Uh, so I was just sitting and figuring things out by myself, but that's like the interesting part, the part, the, the process of discovery actually and music yeah. is really about learning and discovering. And, um, but yeah, yeah it's, um, I think it's very then the, to... Yeah, and there, there are some manuals that are, are really written like in, in a very great way. Uh, and these manual manuals are like the one in which like they tell you what the what the instrument does and then at the same time at the same time they bring you something you know to to, to say start put the knobs like this start like that and then move it a little bit around so you have you know the idea that you're you're crafting your sound you're, you're making your sound design you know so this is a, this is another thing and uh, um and the, the the process of discovering is is you it's it's so great you know then I, I don't really understand why people they don't want to go through it you know? <laughs> because it's such a great feeling you know. All right, and uh, what's next for you? You mentioned you're working on a on a solo album, or yes, I I started actually two weeks ago. Uh, it should be like my my I, I mean. When I say my album, I mean that it's it's one of those albums that is not like connected to a multimedia project. I have this like thing. It's uh, uh, on the discography. The first one was Plume. The second one was the Yard Sale, and uh, then it was a, a seventeen eight seventeen fifty fifty one Contuno. Even though then I took some some track from that album for for an immersive show, but it wasn't written for an immersive show. So now I'm working on this like. Uh, it's actually a project that I mean is a, a particular, a particular thing. Uh, I'm trying to 
to work with um, a setup in which, except for the piano, everything it's not really uh, stable. That means that you, you cannot reproduce the exact, you know, sound every time you play it. But like, I just want to uh, to record to record like the album, just playing the the tracks. Uh, uh, a lot of time, I, I, sometimes also live, you know, I then like, like uh, recollect what I, what I like most. And probably it's going to be, uh, I'm say probably because I'm still studying uh, how to put this stuff together, but it's going to be the first album that will be made without a dog. Okay. So I'm just like recording everything uh, through, um, through, through, through two recorders and, and a mixer. And I'm gonna just like take the um, probably it's gonna be just out for the vinyl. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't want to. I don't want too much, you know, edit and, uh, uh, and so probably. Of course, I have to make a, a master for the for the vinyl, you know. But it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be probably just a physical release and probably I don't know, but uh, it could be something special for the for the. For the streaming, but uh, one of a kind. I'm, I'm thinking about the project is really ambitious, you know. So, mm. but for now, I just like go the first uh, four, five packs, you know. Mm -hmm. I have an idea, have the setup ready, the instruments are there. Still looking for a polyphonic uh, that could do what I want to do. But the first ideas are pretty, pretty cool. So, all right, I'm. I'm I'm in the process of, you know, of getting getting the idea done. Yeah. Nice, nice. Uh, well, good luck with that. And what's um, what's the most fun project that you've been working on? Like, what's your t favorite type of project? Uh, is it like the immersive show or working on your solo music? It's kind of the same. For, for the immersive show, of course, I have more. Uh, I have I have other directions, you know, like. I mean, I'm totally free, but I know I'm writing music for uh, a particular topic, a particular show, you know? It probably it's easier because, like, I have to, I have to, I have some limits, actually. In certain, in certain cases, you know, they're, they're a good way to, to, to bring it home, you know, to, to have it done. Uh, but what I do when I, write, when I write a solo album, what I do is, like, I make my own story. I know what I have to uh, what I have to tell. So I start to, to write the draft of the composition and then I put it together and I start to see if it works together. And then I'm going to fill, you know, the, the gap uh, or to say, here, I need this kind of mood, I need this kind of you know, sound. So it's really a, a, a slow building up, but it works like I'm, I'm building a story. So it's um, kind of the same thing, even though it's not. Yeah, for me also it's good to to refresh things. Like sometimes work on another project, different kind of project. For example, like um, recently I finished uh, the soundtrack for a movie, and it was really uh, enriching experience. And now, right now, it's actually I'm having some. Uh, it's not that hard, but kind of like hard time coming back to my own style and uh, developing. And it's definitely changed from the previous project. And it's really interesting to, to have them on rotation and um, you develop um, inspiration from one project and then to the other. And yeah, you just keep it moving and dynamic. And Yeah, well, of, of, we do. We do because like, I think it's like, um, 
everything enriches you, but at the same time, because of the attention you put in making a, a, a project, uh, of course, like your mind, your ears are looking for something new, you know, and uh, it's not just a, a new a new melody or a new chord progression. Especially if you work with sound, it's about a new color, you know, that could fit, you know, what you want to do. So mm. it's a, we are lucky enough to say it's a, a, a never ending process, you know, so. Definitely, definitely. That's a, that's a cool thing. That's a cool thing about music. Mm. All right. And is there anything you want to, to share before we wrap this up with the audience? Or... I, I think I, I think I said a lot. Like I'm always, yeah. <laughs> I'm always like, I, I, every time like I do this kind of thing, I say, uh, even though it doesn't, doesn't look like my very shy, I'm a very shy guy, you know, and I always like feel like uh, probably I don't know what to say. Then I start to talk and I talk a lot. You know? oh. <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah, I think, I think like, uh, I said, I said like what was important to me, and uh, I told you like like I just I, I really speak by my own events, you know, and uh, I'm trying to be as much honest as I can be. So like it's my experience, it's my thoughts. They can totally be different from others, you know, but hopefully, you know you can perceive that what I say, I say in a sincere way, you know. Yeah, it's very, it's been very interesting and um, I feel like I learned a lot and um, for sure I think that our audience would be interested because it's really like sound, sound in picture. It's writing, both things are connected. And um, yeah, and actually for people who don't know, we've done two releases with Luca on sound in picture and uh, they can find it. It's uh, They've been really... Um, one of the strongest releases, I would say, I, and one of my personal favorites, although I, I don't have really favorites, but they, they turn up. Thank you. <laughs> um, and yeah, we'll drop links uh, to to, our, to your music uh, in the description and also embed them on the video. So for anybody, that, anybody that's interested, they can just hit the description and find you. Uh, and yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And thanks to everybody who tuned in. If you um, want to keep in touch with us, don't hesitate to write and just uh, follow the podcast for future episodes. And uh, it's nice talking to you again. Have a nice day. Same, same here. Thank you very much. <laughs>